Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Um, but anyways, I want to have my youth students stand up. Come on. Come on. If you're somewhere scattered in here, we're not everywhere. There's Chloe. Look at you, Chloe. But uh, I want to take a minute and just kind of, uh, Brandon did this last year where he, he did this kind of like introduction thing. And I don't want to necessarily do that, but um, I do want to honor you guys and tell you how much I love you. I love you guys. I do. You guys know that. Um, you guys, this, this is the remnant. Can everybody say that word? Remnant. This is the remnant. You guys just stay standing. I know it's a little awkward. You know, according to statistics in the last two years, one third of Gen Z is religiously unaffiliated. One third. One third of their generation is unaffiliated with God. The majority of them identify as atheists and they are the generation that is called the post-Christian generation. Can I tell you this though? They're the most diverse generation. There's never been a generation like them that has been so different and so diverse. Can I tell you guys today, they are the first generation to see the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Come on, you can clap for that. Can I also tell you this? They're the first generation with the most millionaires for their age under 18. So if you got, y'all get rich, just remember me, okay? But they are the remnant. They are the remnant. And I want to take just, just a moment. Maybe you guys can just stretch your hands forth. I want to begin to declare some things over you. I want to remind you guys, just like we did this last service and we had a, a time of just declaration, I want to remind you that you will not miss your destiny. I'm speaking that over you with the authority God has given me as your youth pastor. You will not miss your destiny. You will walk in the fullness of God for your life. Psalm 145, like Dave mentioned, one generation will tell of the mighty works of God to another. You will be that generation. You might be jaded by social media. You might be jaded by all the, the pleasures of life and all of these identity issues, homosexuality and injustices and rumors of wars and transgenderism and unbiblical worldviews, but you are not going to be pressed by the culture. You are going to impress the culture. You're not going to be the last generation or the lost generation. You're going to be burning bright for Jesus. I declare that over you. You're going to step into the full calling that God has for you. Your full identity. The fullness of God for your life. You will experience the love of God. And you will experience the fear of the Lord and walk in a way that is pleasing to him. Your hearts are not going to grow cold, but you're going to burn bright and strong and hard for Jesus and steady. And you will be the generation that fulfills the great commission and you will walk in the great commandment. 
So can you guys just believe that with me for a moment? God, we just declare that over Gen Z, this small remnant here at Heart of the Father. We believe in you, Gen Z. We need you to be your authentic self. We don't need you to be somebody else. We need who God created you to be. And we welcome you here in the name of Jesus. Let's let that simmer for a minute. We need you guys to be who God created you to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I do want to share a couple of youth facts. We've been going somewhere in youth. Somebody say going somewhere. Praise God. We're going somewhere. You know, the Bible talks about a people without vision lack restraint. I like that version of it. If you don't know where you're going, you're not going to have any guardrails. And, and Sonia and I and our leaders who pour into these students, we've been We've, been, uh, we've asked the Lord for, for vision for them, and I, I really couldn't get away from it this year specifically for us to just be lovers of Jesus. I'm just kind of telling you guys what we've been doing in youth. Um, we started a series called Own It, Own Your Faith. We talked about personal responsibility in the Lord and how you can't ride on the coattails of other people. You can't ride on my faith. There is a faith and an obedience, like my brother Knowledge, I don't know where he's at, but we were talking yesterday. There's an obedience for us to walk in, for us to walk in for the Lord. So we talked about owning our faith. We talked about owning our thought life. We talked about owning our witness. We're not our own. We've got a label. We've got a sticker, whatever you want to call it. We've got a branding that says, I'm not my own. I represent somebody else. So the way that I live, the way that I talk, the, what I look at, what I listen to, all of these things are saying this is what he would do too. So we talked about owning our faith. I love this guy right here. Matthew loves the word of God. And he preached about the secret place. The treasures found when you close your door in Matthew 6 and you pray to your father in the secret place. And Haley talked about the difference between living for God and looking like the world and walking in the flesh. And Aaron sang beautifully up here, led us into an amazing time of worship. Aaron preached on a culture of worship. It's more than just a song. It's more than just a song. It's my life. It's all worthy of Jesus. And so that's what we've been going after. We've been going after godliness, holiness, and I'm very excited for what the Lord is speaking into us for 2023. Um, I told the students this last week, but I really feel in my heart so strong for us to begin to move into student-led ministry. I want to get so good at this that I work myself out of a job. I want to pour into them so much that, that we don't have to figure out, well, who's the next person to speak into the next generation? No, they'll be found here. And so that's what we've been doing in youth. We attended a couple conferences. We've seen the power of God move mightily. We've had a lot of fun. We've had a lot of food. Can you tell? <laughs> but uh, I'm really excited. For, and it's, it's truly a joy and it's an honor um, to do what I get to do with my wife um, here for our students. 
If you got your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Can we throw that up on the screen, that first scripture? 1 Corinthians 13. I'm trying to be prudent of our time, but Barry is one of the elders, so he's taught me how to, no, you guys didn't get the joke. It's okay. <laughs> Barry got it. First Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13, verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not, say do not, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. Verse three, if I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. I wanna invite you guys on my journey this year. Uh, it actually started in 2020. I was asking my wife, when did we get pregnant? That's when my, my real crucifixion started. If you wanna look holy, just get pregnant. Uh, make sure you're married though, that's just. Put that out there, especially you students. I was once a student. Anyways, hey, we're just, we're just speaking truth. I'm inviting you guys into my journey. Also, don't wonder what's in my cup. It's plexus. I need to make sure my blood sugars are balanced. Anyways, that's not a plug. But uh, in 2020, I was, I was dealing with some things, and I was like, I, I was realizing and God is so gentle when he does this in the moments we need it. He was like, hey, you got some control issues. And I'm like, God, help me. Help me with my control issues. You know what he told me? I think I said this last year. He said, okay, get pregnant. And I was like, but Lord. How many great men of God said, but Lord? That didn't go very well for him, right? And so it started this, this whole thing, and, 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 and if you guys know our, our story, there's so many things that were out of control. I, I didn't know what was going on. I'm, I'm faced with being a father and a caretaker to my wife. She was very sick. It was so nuts. Fast forward to this year, 2022, and I'm, I'm feeling these, these things surface again, control and edginess and kind of living, at least in my internal world, and maybe you've never seen it in me, praise God, but I'm just being honest here, inviting you guys to come along my journey. Dealing with things in my identity. You'd think for somebody that's walked with the Lord for almost 16 years, I'd be, I'd be pretty, pretty okay. But I realize that even as I grow, there are some areas that are missing. And I was realizing that in September, I needed to make a shift in my emotions, that they were incomplete and that actually my emotions, and, and I'm, this is still a journey I'm on, I'm not saying this like an, I'm an expert, but they were hindering my walk with the Lord and they were hindering the quality 
of my love for him. And so Brandon sends me this email, just, I, f- I feel like Jehovah Sneaky operates through Brandon. Like, it just, that if you guys don't know who that is, it, he's the like, surprise, God. And you just didn't see it coming. That's Jehovah Sneaky. But Brandon operates in the Jehovah Sneaky anointing. And he, uh, he emailed me something, and he's just like, hey, check this out. And it was this course called the Emotional healthy discipleship. So I'm gonna pull a little bit today from these teachings. My man named Peter Scazzaro, I honor and respect this man a lot. Amazing story, I can't really get into it, but I applied for the course. You have to apply, you actually have to be in ministry. And so I got accepted. Um, the church uh, blessed me, to t- took care of it financially and everything. And so I went through that course and last Wednesday I have just finished it. It was an intense You can clap for that, yeah. I completed something, praise God. (laughs) Yeah, so that was was about three months. Uh, In October, we started that, and it has been so transformative. It has been such a blessing. And so I'm gonna pull a little bit from that tonight, uh, or today. And so uh, I was praying, and I was asking the Lord, Lord, I don't wanna give, like Dave said, I don't wanna give my opinion. What is it that you wanna say? And the title of my message this morning is love. The mark of maturity and success. You can write that down. Love. It's the mark of maturity and success. You know, I'm four and a half years into youth pastoring, and I've been wondering some things. Everybody say wonder. I've been wondering some things. You ever wonder? You ever kind of just, man, what have I been doing? You ever had that question before? Maybe it's just me. And I've been wondering, and I've been like, Lord, what, what, have I achieved anything? I've been youth pastor for four and a half years. I'm approaching 30. Some of y'all are like, you got like a whole nother life ahead of you. Enrico, stop laughing. But um, I've been wondering some things, you know? I've, I've been asking myself, Am I growing well? And can I tell you guys, before you start asking those questions, know that, that we have this complex in us to condemn ourselves. Don't go exploring your heart without Jesus. I'm telling you, I, that's a little nugget for somebody today. You will spend an eternity in your own brain condemning yourself, disqualifying yourself, when Jesus is pulling you out of that. But I've been asking myself, am I growing well? Am I stewarding things rightly? Am I accomplishing what Jesus has asked of me? Here is my big question. Am I walking in the path of success? By show of hands, how many of you want to be successful? Man, there's something wrong with y'all if you don't have your hands raised. Maybe... Maybe you're a little disengaged or something. I think everybody wants to see. You can keep those hands raised. If you want to be successful in this building, raise your hand. That's good. Keep your hand raised for a minute. How many of you think that you are walking down currently the path of success? Give you time to think. It's, it's different hands are going like, eh, 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 eh. Some hands just went like halfway. It's like half-masked. You know, uh, I'm gonna crack since my mom's here, and uh, I'm half Filipino, y'all, if you didn't know. 
And um, uh, I'm gonna be nice. But uh, you know, Filipinos, <laughs> we, we have this thing about us. My mom, uh, she has sacrificed so much for me to be here and be the man that I am. She worked very hard, she still works very hard. I honor and I love her. Uh, Man, everybody compliments me on my handwriting when they see my board. I'm like, that's because my mom gave me homework on top of my homework. It's an Asian thing. You don't understand. Anyways, so I'm Filipino. There's like two and a half of us here, so you should get to know us. I'm half. There's two others in the back. Well, including my mom, that's three and a half, so I can do math. Um, yeah, I'm not a, a whole Filipino. But uh, there's this joke that we have that all Filipinos like secretly know, and it's like this undertone of like, hey, you're really successful if you are, become a nurse, a registered nurse, or if you become a mailman. <laughs> okay, man, well, let me add a third one there. I just thought of this one. It, or if you uh, work at the cruise, if you work on a cruise, you ever been on a cruise before, you've seen a Filipino. Anyways. <laughs> but <laughs> we, you know, growing up, I'm just kind of like, is that success? Is it? How do you define success? You know, we live in a culture that success says this, if you aren't getting bigger, you are failing. I'm not knocking numbers, but the general feeling that we have is if you aren't getting bigger, then you're failing. So we define success by things like a bigger bank account. And we think to, I'm, okay, I get everybody, can we just get away from the, the theological brain and just get real here? Because I really feel like the Lord wants to go after what's, what's deeply in here. I love Jesus because Jesus doesn't just speak to the mind, he goes directly for the heart. And I feel like the Lord wants to address how we define success today. How we define walking in maturity, am I growing? So we define it by bigger bank account. Maybe if I have a bigger house. Where's Nadine at? We were talking about houses yesterday at Chick-fil-A. Big farmhouse, wraparound porch. Maybe it's bigger influence. If my social media takes off, if my business takes off, that tells me what, when I'm successful. Maybe it's ministry. When I get those numbers, when all of them understand, that's when we're successful. I wanna define success two ways. Number one, this is very simple. Success is becoming the person God calls you to become and doing what God has called you to do in his way and in his timing. Let me say it one more time. Your success is you becoming the person God has called you to be. Not somebody else calling you to be. And doing what God has called you to do in his way and in his timing. I wanna tell you guys this morning that the measure of your maturity, the measure of you walking in success in your life is how well you can love others. We have this big sign in our office. It says, did you learn to love one another today? Success and maturity look like going home and loving your family well. 
I want to read a couple of examples from this book that this gentleman wrote. What am I talking about? Loving God, loving well, being the success. So what are we not saying? Here's what you can't do. You can't be a gifted speaker for God in public and be a detached spouse or an angry parent at home. That's called emotional immaturity. I can't quote the Bible with ease and be unaware of how reactive I am. I can't fast and pray and seek God for a word and be critical towards people and then I call it discernment. I can't lead people for God when in reality my primary motive is for an unhealthy need to be admired by people. So how do you define success today? Heart of the Father? Do we define it by the big highs and the spiritual things? I'm not knocking that. Is is that the only defining measure? Because I want to tell you today that your love for God is, it has to be transferable to love for people. They have to be. Got lots of books here. Praise God, I think we're working on a, a table to get a, got a lot of stuff here. I wanna read this excerpt from this workbook that has been helping to transform and bring some wholeness to my life. The essence of true Christian spirituality, spirituality is to love well. This requires that we experience connection with God, number one, with ourselves and with other people. So God invites us to practice his presence in our daily lives. At the same time, everybody say same time. At the same time, he invites us to practice the presence of people within an awareness of his presence. It's called relationship. Sadly, the two are rarely brought together. The Christians in Corinth failed to make that connection. They were zealous, they were diligent, and they were absolutely committed to having God as Lord of their lives. They had the faith to move mountains, they gave great money to the poor, and they were incredibly gifted, but they did not love people well. They did not link loving God to loving people. Jesus always integrated the presence of God with the practice of loving people. He summarized the entire Bible for us in light of this unbreakable union. Does anybody know what that is? It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God. This is our vision in youth. This is what we've been going after. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not instead of yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. No way, Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. If I can heal people, if I got a prophetic word for somebody, if I got faith to move mountains, I'm doing pretty good, right? Loving people is part of the mark of our maturity. 
It is possible for you to do great exploits for the Lord and miss people. Are you hearing me this morning? We can do great things for God and still miss people. Essentially missing him. Isaac touched on this a little bit, but I I really believe for me in my life and for many in this body, the word of the Lord for us is slow down. Slow down. I don't want to miss the mark, y'all. I really do walk in a fear of this. I do in a healthy fear, I hope. But we must slow down to be with God and be with people. They're inseparable. If you're going to have an inflow, you gotta have an outflow. And if you're gonna have an outflow, you must have an inflow. You can't separate them. And I think for too long in the church, we've said, yeah, I can have a bomb message, I can have the word of the Lord, but treat my spouse like they're an extension of myself, they're an object. Getting a little more more serious here. You know, when we embark on this journey to love people well, it's going to cause us to grow. Everybody say grow. I don't know about you, but I want to grow. I don't want to stay the same. Man, what, what a tragedy it would be four and a half years later in ministry and not having grown. A good friend of mine said it like this. It's not about what you do in the ministry that matters. It's what the ministry does in you. Can I ask you, what has ministry been doing in you? What has your family been exposing in you? Has it been causing you to go back to God and say, God, I need a greater love because my capacity is so small. I'm edgy around people. It is a little daunting. There should be like a warning label on this thing, right? To love people well. God, really? My love for you is measured by loving people? It's kind of scary. And I'll be honest with you, it's, it'll expose you. But can I tell you at the same time, it'll, it'll show you where you need to grow. And can I tell you that the, the, the place of exposure, the place of pruning is the beginning of your growth. The place where you get cut, where you get exposed, it's not for people to poke fun at or to be like, oh man, this person just sucks or whatever. No, that's the place where you begin to grow, right? We know John 15, he prunes us so that what? So we might be more fruitful. It's not so I can be alone with God and I've got like this mystical experience. No, I'm, I'm getting alone with God. I'm loving him with everything I've got. And then naturally it's coming out of me and I'm loving people the way that God loves me. Loving others will force you. Everybody say that word force. It's kind of like uncomfortable. Sometimes it's against your will. The love of God will force you to love other people. And your love for people will drive you to your knees because you will realize, I can't do this on my own. All right, let's go to 1 John. Why is this so important? We talked about Matthew, how Jesus sums up all of the Bible in these two inseparable things that we want to separate, but we can't. 
And he says, all of the law and all the prophets. So 1 John 4. If you are there, give me, a, give me an amen. Come on. All right. We're scooting along here. 1 John 4, verse 7. I'm going to hop all over the place a little bit, but why is this so important, loving people well? Jesus, well, through John, the Holy Spirit, gives such an amazing emphasis. This is not my opinion. I want to invite us into the wrestle that I've been walking in, and I'm no expert, I promise you, but I'm walking in this because it's driving me back and forth from love for people and love for God. But he says this in verse seven, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, say does not. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Really, John? You sure you know what you're talking about? Verse 11. Dear friends, since, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. That's success. He lives within us, and his love is what? It's made complete. Can I tell you, if you are lacking something, God's love can complete you as we love other people. Verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence. Come on, somebody say confidence. I wanna have confidence. This is, we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world if we are like Jesus. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, watch this. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a, that's a strong word. We know how God feels about liars, right? In the Old Testament. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, not an opinion, not a suggestion, a command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. My love for God is measured to the degree that I love others. John 13 Let's go to John 13. I just really like John. You know, they said that John was the one that was closest to Jesus. Well, at least I think, according to the scripture, he calls himself that. So it's kind of interesting. John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you. What does that mean? 
Can I just give love to people the way that I love best? If I've got a lot of finances, can I just, just, just love people only in that way? No, what does he say? As I have loved you. There's something about that that's a little more complete. It's not one-sided. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, this is the big scripture right here. By this, by your love, everyone. Come on, can somebody say everyone? I hope this is steeping in our souls. Like, this is so valuable. I can't believe I've somewhat missed this all these years. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Can I ask you a question? Can anybody tell that you love God? If they're around you, can they tell? I was um, looking at this study. It was actually done this year by the Episcopal Church. And uh, uh, there's another company, I think it's called ISPIS. And they did this study with 3,000 Americans. And it's called Jesus and in the American Church. And this study shows what Christians and non-Christians thought about Christians. They, they said, okay, among all these words, I want you to describe what Christians are like. This is what Christians perceived from other Christians. You ready? They described them with this word, giving, 57%. There's many words. They described them as giving. This is Christians viewing other Christians. 57% said giving. 56% said compassionate. 55% said loving. 50% said respectful. And 49% said friendly. So Christians viewing other Christians, they perceive them as, man, they're very giving people. They're compassionate, they're loving, they're respectful, and they're friendly. That's pretty good, right? We're doing good, y'all? That's us. I wonder what the non-Christians thought. Fasten your seatbelt. Non-Christians associated Christians with characteristics like this. 50% said hypocrisy. That's the number one. Number two, 49% said judgmental. 46% said self-righteous. And 32% said arrogant. Let me ask again, can anybody tell that you've been with Jesus? Can the non-Christians tell you've been with Jesus? Right, because we, we can't like tell them, hey, look, listen, you don't, you don't know the revelation I just got. I was in the prayer room five hours. Let me tell you, and they're like, huh? Why are you so impatient? Why are you judgmental? What is discernment? What does that even mean? What do you like know something about me that I don't know? I always think about this scripture when I think if, if I've been around the presence of God. I, th I think... Um, in Philippians, there's a scripture that says rejoice. 
Rejoice. I, I might be wrong if it's in Philippians or James. I love all those books, but anyways, it's in here. That's all that matters. But he says, rejoice, rejoice. God is near. And then right after it, he says, let your gentleness be evident. Can I ask you a question? Is your gentleness evident? Can non-Christians tell if you've got the joy of God? There's something different about that person. They're not even, I love, we did this thing. There's a couple people here from, from yesterday. We did this amazing event called Angel Tree. I love it. I really feel in this body, that especially in 2023, that the Lord is, is revealing himself again, freshly in this body currently as Jesus the evangelist. We're learning to love people well. Tim and the guys, they're doing the, the food distribution. We've done the angel tree thing. And it's so, such a pleasure to get to know people and to just have fun and to just love people where they're at. But I like wondered myself, if I don't say anything Christianese, can they tell? Uncle Kev, you used to say this. If I was on trial for being a Christian, would the jury find enough evidence to, find, and to, to convict me for being a Christian? Or would they lack evidence? Nah, I'm not really sure. I saw how they treated their wife. I saw how they were. But what does John say? John says that people are going to know, Christians, non-Christians, they're going to know by how we love one another. Is it just like the fleshly kind of love or is it God's love? There's something different about it. It's not looking like, like for something from me. Can I tell you something? People know when they are a project. Maybe you felt like a project. And I think part of the problem is we've defined success in so many different ways that we do things for God and different pursuits and all of that's great, but we miss people. Peter Scazzaro says it like this, you can make disciples, but miss people. And in this church, I do have a healthy fear that we don't miss what God is doing in people and we, we become present. But that, that statistic startled me. It poked something in me. I'm like, man, God, is that really? Is that a healthy question for myself? Is that in me? And I began to realize this on my journey this year. So we had Judah. How many of you know that Judah is kind of crazy? He gets it from his daddy. I love that boy. I love him. But having children... Getting married, boy, they, they will uncover you. Being in deep relationship, hello, covenant, community, heart of the Father, people are gonna know about your stuff. People are going to recognize after rubbing shoulders with you. Man, you know, when they're offended, they kind of stew on it. They don't come to me. They don't talk about it. They would rather avoid and I really feel this, God is calling us in this body to grow in our, not just our IQ with God, but our EQ, our emotional intelligence with one another. Because the degree to which we love one another is the measure, it is the, the, the marker, the defining moment of how well we love God. And they're inseparable. They rely on each other.
This guy, Peter, he recounts, trying to be good with my time here. Y'all with me? Praise God. He's working on my heart. I'm in this with you. Somebody say, crucify me. No, not me. Just say it for yourself. It's like a little dangerous. Crucify him. No, don't do that. I already, I already do that up here. See, here, yeah, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll say that. So, you know, one of the things about preaching up on this stage, which the elders don't tell you, is they get crucified. They get crucified in the private place where they are alone with God. Nobody sees what they're doing, and they do this tug of war with the word of God so that we can also enter into it. But Peter, he, uh, I, I can't get into it with time, but he has this crazy, amazing uh, testimony where he gets radically saved. I mean, he's going to prayer meetings, speaking in tongues, all kinds of things. Him and his wife get married young. Uh, they move to uh, a Spanish-speaking country just to engage with the people, learn the language, learn the culture. They come back, plant huge church. They have a Spanish-speaking church of 400 people within their church. That's how big it is. And they experience all kinds of craziness and they find this faultiness in their discipleship and they realize that their unhealthy qualities were being reproduced unknowingly to the people that they were discipling. Not just their strengths, but their weaknesses. So much so, I believe it was in 96, that Peter Scazzaro's wife was, her name's Jerry, she's like one of those bold women, like I'm not taking this no more, kind of, you know anybody like that? That's my wife. She'll call me out. I love her. She's patient. But uh, Jerry was like going up to her husband and is like, listen, something's not right. I'm quitting the church. Can you, how do you quit your husband's church? And they have this profound testimony. But, but listen to this. this. This is like the making of this work. Uh, and please, let me clarify this. I'm not elevating this above the Bible for anybody that's, I'm just kind of clearing the air because the devil is dumb and he likes to make little things like that. But he says this, he recounts this. <clears throat> he says, my focus and aim was to make disciples and to grow the church. To do that, I needed people to respond. I needed people to participate and I needed them to join. There was something I needed them to do in order to get Christ's mission done more successfully. Somebody say success. There was an entire world out there in need of Jesus. That's not wrong. Listen to me. He said churches to be planted, people to be trained, poor folks to be fed, and I needed laborers to join me in that work. Listen to this though. He says, but over time, it became so difficult to distinguish between loving people for who they were versus using them for how they can contribute to my mission. You ever had the lines blurred before? This is kind of all I know. I've been in ministry now for four and a half years, just learning, seeing things, experiencing things, ups, downs, roller coasters, all that great stuff. But I've had the lines blurred before. People know when they're a project. You ever heard that phrase, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. 
That's this generation, Gen Z. You know, they are actually looking for authentic. They are looking for it. They are looking for the truth. But they also want to know, do you got the character to back it up? Heart of the Father, do we have the character? Are we walking in the path at least of where our character is matching our anointing? May it never be so in this body where we're so anointed and we can do all of the, the, the prophesying and all of that stuff, but we fail to meet people and we're not present. You know, you can still love people and tell the truth, but it's called relationship. I got a slide. Can you put that slide up? It's the uh, relationships in the new family. I thought about this too. You know how in scripture it talks about the love of most will grow cold. I've been wondering to myself, what if the answer to a people whose love is growing cold is my love for God being so hot that they can see it and it reignites their hearts? What if my love for people is so wild, it's so unhinged, it's so like, I don't need to get something from you. That people see Jesus and they're like, man, what is, what is this person? There's something about them that I, I'm just like drawn to. So up here, I've got, um, I've got a, uh, a little slide thing. I know you can't read it way back there, but I just wanna read it to you. It says, relationships in the new family of Jesus. I want to ask us to kind of figure out on what side are we on. Here's before Jesus. We're broken. We're defensive. I wonder how many of us and the people that know us would describe us. Man, that person's kind of defensive. They're always trying to like, when, I, when I'm talking about something that's bothering me, they're defensive. They got a reason to back it up. Well, in Christ, when we become whole, we don't have to defend ourselves. We're approachable. The second one says low self-awareness. When we're broken, and this is kind of based out of like wholeness being in Genesis 1, we're with God, brokenness is after the fall. But brokenness says, I, I have low self-awareness. I don't really know what's going on in here. I just, I feel something. And wholeness says, I have a high self-awareness, not pride, Right? There's a scripture in the New Testament that talks about, let's be honest with ourselves. Brokenness says, I'm isolated. I isolate myself. Would, would people describe us that way? Or would they describe us as connected? Brokenness says, I'm quick to blame. Wholeness says, I take responsibility. I can feel the gears turning already, how we justify. Oh man, how we justify. I've done this a lot. Of, I'm telling you, this is a big repentance letter to my wife and she knows it. I've been working on this. Where I'm, I'm quick to blame or I'm defensive. Instead, I'm learning to listen and understand and take responsibility. What if the problem isn't other people? What if it's me? What if God is using people to agitate some things in me that need to grow? Reactive. This wholeness says non-reactive. Um, I'm gonna substitute that with respond. 
You know the difference? When you react, it's like kind of like a, you just naturally do it. We do that with God. You know, we get in a real holy and we respond and we're like, God, you're so good. And then when something triggers us, we react because we can't help it. This is a whole life pursuit, y'all. This is a whole life pursuit that God is calling us. Can you love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also love people the way that I love them? Oh, it's so hard. We're called to love people that can't give us anything. Hello, that's me. You ever been, I mean, it's the holidays. Hello, Thanksgiving, Christmas. I just keep going. I'm, I'm like rabbit trailing. I like rabbit trails. Um, and, and Rico likes to eat rabbits. That's like a, he's weird. Anyways, I'm just picking on him. I love everybody in this body so much. It's hard to not like joke with y'all. Fearful. When I'm broken, I'm defensive, I'm reactive, and I'm fearful. But the walking in wholeness says I'm courageous. This is, we, we, we have the challenge to step out from broken, and I'm, I'm gonna substitute brokenness for a minute from saying the unhealthy tendencies that we've grown up with. The unhealthy family traits that we've acquired that God calls us to walk out of brokenness and distinguish and work on and allow him to transform us by being with him, being transformed by him so that we can give our lives as an offering for him. We're no longer fearful, we're courageous. We're no longer self-absorbed, but we're self-giving. I'm no longer addicted. I'm not reliant on something, but I freely give. I don't need your affirmation. I love it, I appreciate it, but I'm free. I'm free to love you. Brokenness says I'm dishonest. That's the old family, but in the new family we are honest. We're going to try to finish up here. So I want to, so we know that there is an inseparable link between the two of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving one another as ourselves. And that that's, that's everything. Jesus summarized the whole Bible, all of the law, all of the prophets, everything in those two. And so how do we do it? We know it's important. It's the measure of our maturity. And when I ask myself, I hope somebody, when they walk out of here, that you start asking, man, how well do I love people? Is it translating over from my love for God? Is it translating out of my quiet place and into the open place? But I wanna ask us, how do we do this? I'm going to give you just two resources as best as I can from this teaching. You can um, put up the, the next slide if you can, the, the chart. Siri is trying to talk to me. Um, so there's this guy, his name's Martin Buber. He, um, 1914 during World War I, he is a well-known German Jewish theologian. And he would describe himself and people would describe him as, um, as deeply religious. They would describe him as more concerned with the eternal, which is not bad, more than the temporal. 
He's primarily concerned with like these mystical experiences with God. And he recounts this conversation that he has with a young man that changed everything for him. On my spot here for just a minute. You guys doing okay? I know this is hard. Welcome to my wrestle of growing in love for people and growing in love for God. I can't find it, but so Martin Buber has this, he has this conversation with this guy and he recounts that it was cordial, it was friendly, but he admits that he wasn't present. You know, you can be there, but not be there. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've been that person. I've been there. He had this conversation and Later, he finds out, this is the beginning of World War I. He later finds out that this young man committed suicide. And this young man did not come to this great theologian just to have a casual conversation. And, and Martin was, was so caught up. He's like, man, that morning, I had this powerful experience with God, and it was amazing. And, and that's, that's not bad. Hear me. That's not bad. But it must translate over. And he says it like this, I recounted the conversation. I was there, but I was not there in spirit. And this young man came to me and he didn't come for a casual conversation. He came for a life-changing decision. He recounts it like this, I learned that he had not come casually, but he born, but this conversation was born by destiny, not for a chat, but for a decision. And when he found out from a friend that this young man passed away, it struck him. It rubbed something wrong in him. Just telling you guys that this, this man's experience, this is just one experience, but it rocked his world and it felt like almost like a judgment on the way that he was living. He was so preoccupied with his experience that he brought leftovers to this young man. He was distracted and he was not fully present. So several years later, this is five years after the end of World War I in 1923, he published this book. It, one of his greatest works is called I and Thou. And that's this chart right here. And this reference is how we relate to each other. So I want to tell you this, this hopefully will help you with the how. Well, how do I love people? How do, how do I be present? Here we go. I it versus I Thou. So when you relate to someone as an it, you are relating to them as an object. Or you are relating to them as a means to an end. But when on that right side, when you relate to somebody as a thou, we relate to them as people. Different, but created by God. When we treat people as an it, we treat them differently because they've got different views. We're a little impatient because they don't fit into our plans and they don't fit into our expectations. Hello, I hope this is translating. Thou, when we treat people as a thou, we realize that people are unrepeatable. There's nobody like that person in all the earth. They're treasures, even if they've got differing views. But are they not also image bearers? Did God not also make them? Let me try and get through this chart a little bit. 
when we relate to people as an it. Let, let's, let's kind of like examine this in our own hearts. We're distracted. We're goal-oriented. Lord, help us if there's any of that in us. But when we relate to people as a thou, we're attentive. We're listening-oriented. I'm not trying to predict what you're saying and say what it is that you need to say. I'm allowing you to speak. I'm listening to understand your tone, the way that you're, you're, what you're not saying, what you are saying. I'm learning this. When, when we treat people as an it, we're, others are objects and they're extensions of ourselves. We gotta go, we gotta do something. Do this, do that. But when we relate to them as a thou, other, others are people and they're unique and they're separate. Can I say that you and I, we can be different in this building and we can still hold to the same truth. We can accomplish things different ways. When we relate to people as an it, we're judgmental, we're conditional, we have conditional acceptance. But when we treat them as a thou, as a person, we are non-judgmental and we have radical acceptance. I'm not talking about compromising your faith. I'm gonna get to that. When we relate to them as an it, we have a monologue. You ever had a conversation with somebody and it's just a monologue? They're just talking and talking and you're like, you can't, there's no connection because it's just one person speaking. It's a monologue. Maybe it's like a debate. They wanna make their point. The other side says, it's a dialogue. We have exploration. We talk, we admire, and we have curiosity. Hey, how did you come to that conclusion? I am genuinely curious. Second to last one here. When we relate to people as objects, we withhold ourselves. We keep things and we limit our sharing. When we treat people as people, we offer ourselves. We lay down our lives, right? Jesus said that. We become vulnerable and we can have full self-disclosure. We can be open with them. We can trust them. And the last one, when we relate to them as objects, we are closed off. We're unwilling to learn from them. They don't have anything to offer me. And therefore, if I don't have anything to learn from them, I'm not willing to change. I know it all. How many times do we, we, we in our theology, and I really do feel like we, I want to get us away from just having it in our brain. We can be really good theologians, but poor lovers. I want to be both. I want to love well, but I want to speak the power and truth of God's word and not compromise. It is a real wrestle. But when I treat other people as a thou, I'm open, I'm willing, I'm learning, and I want to change. So that's the I-thou chart. I wrote this down. Our presence with people can be some of the greatest ministry to others. Can I tell you that you never know how victorious and how healing it is to be present with somebody that has battled with rejection? You don't know. 
If you've ever battled with rejection, your presence is a gift to them. To be fully present, to be like Jesus in the flesh, there have been some real moments where I've, I've, met, I've talked with Brandon and, and I've, I've met him and, and I've, I've just been, ah, oh, and he does so well at being present and he's listening and he's trying to put himself in my shoes. All the elders do that. And they continue to grow in it because we're all on this walk together, y'all. But you never know how healing it is to bring your presence when somebody has wrestled all their life with abandonment. And you say, guess what? I'm here. I'm listening to you. You have my attention. Is that not like the father? You have my attention. Could you imagine what that looks like? Listen, you have my attention. You have my ear. I'm leading you. You got this. You don't know how healing it is for people that battle with loneliness and battle with being misunderstood because you become, in that moment, you become like Jesus. You become Jesus in the flesh. And God uses that, the gift of your presence. Don't underestimate that. So how do I practice the presence of people in the same way I practice the presence of God? I promise this is my last point. I'm Pentecostal, though. That's like my second closing. Um, all right, I've got three questions. I've got three questions for us to know if we are being present. I promise you, if you take home these resources, it, it will help you. It's helped me to apply this to my life, and I'm still, I'm not perfect at it. I'm just growing. But I wanna, I wanna present to you three questions. Everybody say three questions. Three questions to know if you are present with people. And let me say this before I get into it. The goal of when we are relating with people is for you, for them to feel felt. Let me say that again. Our goal when we relate to people, whether they're non-believers, they're believers, whatever, our goal is that we don't treat them like an it, we treat them as a thou. They're not just objects, they're people, they're different and they're made in God's image. They're not just a cog in the machine. They're not just like, hey, you're talented in worship, you just need to get on my worship team. You need to do this, you need to do that. I wanna get really good at loving people where they're at because they know. They know when they're a project. They know when they're just like another thing to get where you wanna go. Because what? We're redefining success here. Success is not the big name and lights. It's not the big ministry. I told the Lord a couple years ago, if you, just, if you just kept it, I think we started off like several years ago with only like two students. It was like the, just the great purge. I don't know what happened. I'm like, cool. Learning how to preach with two students. This is awesome. And the Lord grew our numbers and everything. But I told the Lord, I'm like, Lord, wean me from, from wanting numbers and give me quality. Help me, God, to just pour everything I got out for just these few, because why? He flipped the world upside down with 12. What would it look like in our lives if we poured everything we've got, if we were present with people, and we loved them, and they knew us, and we knew them, and we knew their weaknesses, and vice versa? What would it look like 
for unbelievers to recognize without you saying anything that you love God, you've been with God. Something different. This is like an appetite. I can't, I need more. All right, y'all getting me off track. Stop it. Our goal is for people to feel felt. I want them to know that they are felt. It's learning how to connect with people deeper. I want to speak into this as we go into 2023. We're growing in covenant community. We're growing in godliness, but we're doing this dance. Okay, like I can't just love God. I got to love people well with the same love. Can I tell you also that the same work, the same effort that you put into loving God, it's just as hard to love people. It takes work and it is a life pursuit. But number one, here's a question you wanna ask yourself. Am I fully present or am I distracted? Am I fully present or am I, what'd you say? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Yes, honey. Yes, you said you, yeah, go ahead, just spend all the money at Target. I mean, what? Am I fully present or distracted? Can I tell you, there's been so many times coming home and, and I'm just kind of like zonked. I'm tired. You guys have been there, especially those that, that work out in the hot sun. You're tired. You want to relax. You want to wind down. There's nothing wrong with that. But can I tell you, when you're, when you're kind of like left on empty, it really reveals what you want. This whole teaching is a wrestle against your will. But we know as Christians, not my will, but yours. And it's so easy to just veg out, pick up my phone and just kind of give my leftovers for my family. And we have to make, make this shift. This is a really easy one that I try to do. Um, when I come home and I'm, I'm like in ministry mode and I've got, uh, Brandon calls it the ministry hat on. And I get in my driveway and my wife doesn't need me to be Pastor Mick. My wife needs me to be a husband. My wife needs me to be a father. She's been at home. Judah's been acting a fool. He's done busted his lip like five times. There's like poopy diapers and stuff. She's, you know, can I be present with her? I'm like, nah, babe, just. Spirit of the Lord be on you. Just gonna, you know. You got that, babe. Babes, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. <laughs> you got that. Oh. I can't get past this first question. Am I fully present or am I distracted? This thing is such a distraction, y'all. It does a lot of good. Can I just be honest? It does a lot of good. It helps. I, I'm a millennial, so like I kind of, and I'm Filipino. I'm going to just kind of throw that out there as my joke, but <laughs> we don't know how to tell directions. Uh, so I use my app for everything. Like, where's this stuff at? I know South Florida. I know the Cobb area. So, but um, this thing does a, a lot of good, but it also makes me busy. It also helps me to be distracted with people. My wife has been doing, I'm bragging on you, she's been doing this thing where she, uh, she's gotten off social media and it, I've, I've just seen such a growth in her. She does this thing with Judah where she's like, I will be present. I'm not going to let, uh, I know Diane's not here, but I'm not going to let this child sit in front of a TV. 
My wife has been sacrificing at home. And uh, she's made this vow to be present. And so every morning, Judah wants to play. He wants to do this thing. And Sonny's like, Judah, do you want to spend time with Jesus? And sometimes he'll go, I know, no. We're like, no, you know, you, you want to get, get your little Jesus doll. He's got like a Jesus doll. It's kind of weird. It's like, it's from Amazon. So he's got one long sleeve. It's kind of weird. There's like a bunch of people. Y'all crunchy bombs, you're laughing at me. I know all y'all bought it because Sonia got it from y'all. But anyways, so, but uh, she does this thing where she's present with Judah. She's teaching him. Don't run to all this other stuff first. Let's be present with Jesus. In the same way that I'm present with Jesus, I want to be present with people. So ask yourself, are you present with people or are you distracted? Henry Nouwen says this, to care. Everybody say to care. To care means, first of all, to be present to each other. From experience, you know that those who care for you become present to you. When they listen, they listen to you. And when they speak, they speak to you. Their presence is a healing presence because they accept you on your terms and they encourage you to take your own life seriously. So number one, am I fully present or distracted? Number two, this lifetime pursuit of being present. Am I loving or am I judging? We do this thing where we judge people so quickly and deep down, I'm speaking to that deep down thing, those reactivities, we subtly categorize people. You ever had a conversation with somebody got different views? I don't know, maybe they're like not even Christian or they do things a certain way. But what we do is we subtly, deep down in our hearts, we, we categorize them and then we diminish their humanity. They, they don't think the way that I do. They're just not as, they're not like me. Can I tell you, that's your mission field. You're called to love those people. Because God loves you. He puts up with you. He puts up with me. Isn't it amazing to see the love of God on display? He knows all of our differences. He knows how we can do all this fighting among each other when we're supposed to be recognized by his love, but then he loves us and he encourages us to grow. Instead of judging where we make our virtues into this moral superiority thing, we love. Tell me more. I'm genuinely interested. Can you help me to understand? How did you come to that conclusion? That's loving versus judging. Number three, and this is the last question, am I open or closed to being changed? So how do we relate to people with the presence of God and the presence of people? You guys hang with me. Am I fully present or distracted? Am I loving or am I judging them? And am I open or am I closed to being changed? Here's the thing about being open to being changed. You can still hold to your convictions. It's going to take some bravery. It's going to take some courage. But the reason that being open to change is necessary is because it's a requirement to have a dialogue. If you go into a conversation and you're, and you're already thinking, no matter what this person says, I ain't changing. They got nothing to offer me. You know what we call that? Pride. I want, listen, I want to learn from unbelievers. You know you could do that? 
they got little markers in them, things that distinguish them that make me realize, oh, you are made in the image of God. You are walking out in this way. But you know what? There is, I can learn something from you. My dad, who doesn't, not really sure where his walk is with the Lord, but for a long time, I, 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 I had such a hard time viewing him. And one of the things in recent years that I took away from his life is like, man, you know what I love about him? He is a hard worker. And I took that and I was able to appreciate. And I was like, you know what? How much more if I claim that I'm a Christian, can I work even harder for God? If I'm powered by that. Pete says that, Peter Scazzaro says it like this. He says, you may be wondering, Pete, are you saying that anything goes, that there's no absolute truth when I say I'm open to being changed? He says, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. But at the same time, I am saying you must consider it biblical to engage another unrepeatable image bearer in a posture of openness and to assume that you can learn something. I can learn something, but by looking for a gift that doesn't look like Jesus necessarily. Yeah, they're not Christians, but I can learn something from them. They got other gifts. I'm not talking about compromise. I'm just talking about loving people well, engaging them. They're not a project. May it not be said here at Heart of the Father that we, when people describe us, and I know that they don't, I, we, we frequent this Publix over here, and uh, I've been to some, some other youth conferences around locally, and they'll be like, hey, where, where are you from? Heart of the Father, they'll see the shirt, giving God what he wants. And like nine times out of 10, this is such a stamp on us, you guys, and we're growing in this. They say, man, those people are so nice. Those people are so loving. I've had, I have friends at Access Church. I have friends at Grace City. I have friends at other churches locally. And every time, at Highland Park, every time they're like, man, those people from Heart of the Father, they really do carry the heart of the Father. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And we continue to grow in it. Here's my closing remark from this book. I'm telling you this has changed a lot of things has given me a heading. When we try to love in our own strength, we discover that we just simply can't. I can't love people with my own love. I have to 100% lean upon Jesus. I have to know, God, the way that you love me, the way that you love in the Trinity, help me to love people that way. I naturally fall back into unhealthy ways of relating, especially when I'm under stress. You wanna talk about relating to people. We, we know this in our theology, but man, what about when you're, when you're going through stuff, when your patience is thin, when you're under stress, when you're going through a crisis and we blow up? We must learn how to have the love of Jesus flow in us so that it can flow out of us. Love is the marker of success, family. Love is the mark of your maturity. And we cannot remain emotionally immature and say that, man, I've got it going on spiritually, but I know this scripture. No, no. 
Can we even out the scales a little bit? I wanna grow in this towards my family. I wanna grow in this towards my neighbors. I wanna grow in this to everybody that I come in contact with so that I love well. What does Matthew 25 say? He says, if you've done it unto what? The least of these. It doesn't say believers, unbelievers. I know there's a special relationship we have in this family. But he says, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Thank you, Jesus. John 15, 12 also says this, love as I have loved you. Because when we experience the judgment seat of Christ in eternity, no effort of love is wasted. No effort of love for people is forgotten and it's not lost because God is knowing what we're doing in our heart. He's seeing the heart, not just the actions. So um, let's go ahead and pray. Let's pray. Thank you guys for sticking with me. Father, just thank you for your word. God, your word is so convicting. God, I pray that you would help us to be rooted in your word. Teach us to abide today, God. Where we lack and where we have disassociated our love for people and a love for God, and we've, we've got them all mixed up. God, would you forgive us for treating people like objects or a means to an end? wherever it may be found in our lives. I really believe your word to us today, God, is to slow down. Slow down to be with you and to be with other people. And that is success. So God, I just pray that you would implant that word in us today, that you would help us to love people the way that you love us. Let our love transfer over. Let it not just be tongue in cheek or only in action. Let it be full. Let it be complete. And I pray, God, that other people would know that we've been with you. Let them so easily be able to tell that not only do we love people well, but we have deep communion with love himself. So I thank you, God, for the work that you're doing here in our body Help us, God. Give us grace. Help us to enter into this thing where we love people well and we're present. And therefore, we're also present and totally reliant on you. We love you in the name of Jesus. Can everybody say amen? Amen. All right. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.